Hello, I'm Sandy Magman, and welcome to Population Health Equity, Crucial and Complicated. The eighth podcast in the series, Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with David Kindig. I'm here again with Dave Kindig, a thought leader in population health. Hi, Dave. Hey, Sandy. Good to be back for this eighth session with you. Great, great. We ended last time discussing your quest to find population health common ground with a special emphasis on equity. Now, I know you worked hard over the last several years on an essay initially called Thinking Clearly, Speaking Frankly about health equity, and that that essay was never published. Tell us more about that effort, what you were trying to accomplish, and what the barriers were. Sure, thanks for asking about that. Um, yeah, last time we covered <clears throat> how crucial closing the equity gap is. Raising the gaps along with raising the mean are the two overall population health goals. But in those last few years, I began to realize how super complicated this really is. A simple basic idea of equalizing health outcomes for all. How can anyone be confused by that? But it has many, many conceptual and measurement and moral, almost overwhelming issues. Recall Heights research that fairness is viewed differently by liberals and conservatives and Eisenberg's reminder about poor white classism. I began that essay, which wound up having 11 components. Um, all are listed in the show notes, but I wanted to explore a few here. First, we've already, we've already covered three in previous episodes. The first, finding political ground on considering fairness. The second, considering rate and absolute number. And then the third, recognizing inequity as both racial, socioeconomic, and other differences that create unfairness. Actually, empirically on that one, Yukiko Asada and I and other colleagues did one empiric piece on this, 2014, called Inequalities in Multiple Health Educations by Education, Sex, and Race, Why We Should Measure Them All. And uh, Yukiko did most of this work, but we worked on it together. We found in that that the range of inequality across counties differed considerably by outcome. Inequality in fair and poor health had the widest range and the highest median among inequalities in all health outcomes. But also in more than 70% of the counties, education-specific inequality was the largest in all health outcomes, except for low birth weight, where racial disparities dominated. No single group characteristic or health outcome represented the whole picture of health inequalities in a population. Um, examining multiple group characteristics and outcomes in a comparable manner is essential in reporting health inequalities. You know, Dave, without giving away what's coming later is that an early reviewer of your manuscript, thinking clearly speaking, speaking frankly about health equity, 
an early reviewer found that that topic of finding political common ground on considering fairness was the most important idea that you had uh, in the essay, which I, I think that's just an important thing to note. I appreciated that. I wish you would have liked the rest of it, but anyway, we'll come, we'll, we'll come, we'll come to that. That's right. We'll come to that. So, so one of my favorite sayings for understanding the twin goals in equity is raise the mean, close the gap. Uh, and I think that came, came from you, Dave. Um, and for me, it's a succinct way to visualize what we're trying to accomplish in improving population health. And it takes something that's complicated and helps me be able to think about it in a very succinct, um, uncomplicated way. Not that it isn't complicated in what you need to do to actually accomplish that. So, uh, exactly. so yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's the fourth um, issue that I want to call attention to. Um, raise the mean, close the gaps. Those are the two goals of population health, for me at least. They come back to the 2003 definition, um, improving overall health and improving equity or reducing the gaps. Either one alone is not enough. Having everyone in all groups with similar but very low overall health would not be acceptable or equitable. Balancing these two goals is also, <clears throat> excuse me, a value-laden challenge. Individuals or jurisdictions can differ on their relative importance. For example, should all gaps be reduced before there is even more improvement for the most healthy? Remember also that gaps can be reduced by lowering the best instead of improving the worst, which is not what we <laughs> have in mind, ideally. Uh, another little empiric paper we did in 2016 uh, we asked the question, um, can states simultaneously improve health outcomes and reduce health outcomes disparities? There's often a, uh, a thought that a rising tide you know, raises all boats. If you raise overall health, you'll reduce the gaps. Or if you reduce the gaps, you'll raise overall health. What we found in that paper was that for US health mortality over a recent period, improvement in the mean and disparity reduction, reducing the gaps, do not usually go together. The improvement in combined mortality was not correlated with the reduction in the ratio mortality gap. Um, uh, just an example, um, some states like Massachusetts improved substantially on both, while other states improvement on both was not so great. Uh, similarly, states like California did well on combined mortality, combined race mortality improvement, but not as well on racial gap improvement. And conversely, and maybe surprising, states like Kentucky and Tennessee did not have great improvements in combined race mortality, but sure a large reduction in the absolute gap between black and white. To go further with that, we developed something called a population health performance index, which is an interactive tool that lets users vary 
the relative importance of these two components and see the impact on overall performance. Mean and inequality health outcomes can be combined into a single population health performance index like the GDP for public and um, private policymakers. Uh, the GDP is like a summary measure of economic output. This index can allow the user, the state or the community for varying degrees of inequality aversion, a jurisdiction's value choice that can substantially impact the value of this new population health metric. So Dave, this sounds like a really useful tool and I know it's, it's free, there's no charge for it. You don't have to hire some consultant. Um, do you have examples of how that's been used? Um, actually, Sani, um, no, which is what quite a disappointment. Um, uh, and a, a message to the younger people. I mean, some of us senior people still have disappointments uh, as well. Um, no, this was a two-year effort funded with uh, by RWJ with three highly, highly qualified colleagues. There was only a single citation and no take up than I'm aware of. And I don't know exactly how to explain that. I mean, it's not a widely read journal. I mean, actually this paper was rejected first by several more prominent journals. So that should have been an indication of something. Um, again, um, and I guess I'll be repeating this, it is complicated. Um, the idea that trade-offs might be necessary in a resource limited world has not been applied much to equity thinking. We can barely deal with single investment issues like making the child tax credit permanent. Yet, yet trade-offs are made all the time by legislatures and individuals. So um, maybe it's an idea yet to come and evolve. I don't know. Yes, maybe it's time just hasn't come yet. So we talked about, and you're thinking clearly and speaking frankly, that the concept of raising the mean and closing the gaps, what an excellent one for thinking and speaking clearly and frankly, how good a one that is. Can you briefly mention a few more, uh, maybe some that were included in the unpublished draft um, that they'll find in the, that the listeners we'll find in the show notes. Sure. Um, and let me just tick off a few of these, hopefully fairly quickly. Um, one is addressing more than equitable health outcomes. Often we just focus on unfair, unfair differences like life expectancy and infant mortality or unhealthy days. These are critical, but they do not encompass the factors, policies, and programs that produce both outcomes and inequities such as healthcare behaviors and social and environmental determinants. Um, furthermore, Lincoln Fellon originally introduced the concept of fundamental causes, which included such classic social determinants of health, but also broader concepts such as power. Uh, Givens and colleagues have expanded on this by asking if power defined as the ability to achieve a purpose or the capacity or ability to act 
might be the most fundamental cause of both health and health equity. Uh, what criteria might make something like power most fundamental? Do other dimensions of culture like political ology, ideology, and religion operate at such a fundamental le level underpinning all drivers of health and equity? And that was the paper in their blog, um, the most fundamental cause of health, health equity in health affairs. You know, that uh, issue of power and I also think of it as agency, uh, which Gary Gunderson has called agency or power to be a quote, leading cause of life. In contrast, what well, we often talk about the leading causes of death, that Gary Gunderson has talked about agency or power to be a leading cause of life, the power of people to think for themselves, act in ways that shape their own experiences and their life paths. And that, that power can take individual as well as collective forms. So I appreciate that health affairs blog talking about power that the, may be the most fundamental cause of health inequity, um, particularly at the community or collective level. So give us another one, Dave. Yeah, well, let me tick off just a couple more and then we'll be done with this list, which is even longer in the show notes. And number six, a whole set of equity disparity measurement challenges that we don't have time to go into the details here, but they're included in that essay in the show notes, including the issue of using care when comparing groups. And then finally, number seven, create open, deliberative, and power-sensitive decision processes for equity, which I will cover in the last podcast. So Dave, you said that this was never published. So the thinking clearly, speaking frankly about health equity essay was never published. What's, what's that story? Well, I mean, you know, it's not infrequent that things <laughs> stay in your file cabinet, as I've said before. I mean, this one I worked so hard on that I was more discouraging. I submitted to three prominent but appropriate journals, different versions, different titles. Um, one was moving forward. In addition to the thinking clearly, one was moving forward on population of equity. The one you helped me with a lot was called a health equity checklist, a little bit of a different organization, all rejected for various reasons. Of course, um, you never know. In some cases, you get some you know, great commentary, which was the case with some, but with others, you just never know. Um, I guess I figure it, it's back to the complicated theme, I think perhaps trying to cover many, many complications in one place was perhaps too complicated. And I've often thought about breaking it up into pieces, which, well, in some of them I have, as you've heard before, but the message I was trying to show is that it is complicated with all of these different pieces, but somehow that didn't resonate um, with editors at this point. Dave, you titled this podcast, Population Health Equity, Crucial and Complicated. 
However, the second part can sound or make it sound too complex, not feasible, too negative. What would you say to people who hear it like that? Because many people are angry and frustrated that more progress is not being made on health equity. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not, I'm absolutely not saying that. Um, uh, and I hope you could be, <clears throat> I hope it could be seen as challenging. You know, like maybe there are Nobel prizes to be won because of the complication and the challenges to putting it all together. I mean, it, it's the title of this podcast and it is, it is complicated and it's more complicated than I ever thought, uh, even several years ago. Lots of moving conceptual, ethical metric parts and layers. Um, any health equity framework that cannot be flat, it needs a multi-layered three-dimensional format so you can click into some of the various um, aspects of this. Um, I hope our new equity framework at the rankings program will have that, um, will have that characteristic. Uh, also, some of the issues are controversial and provocative. Um, I suppose in these times, the fact that it's not all about race um, is as important as that is, you know, could be co co concern to some of the reviewers, although that, that was never stated. I do consider the recommendations in this essay to have failed in the sense that they still remain in draft. And at least at this time, only listeners to this podcast will be able to think about and critique them. Maybe just wasn't the right place at the right time. Translating research into practice has always been my mantra and the mantra of our Population Health Institute and a mantra of IAPHS. Equity is an unfinished journey. Hopefully better communicators will see ways to make these recommendations more understandable and actionable. And I suspect Dave, you'd be open to feedback from the listeners on this and also- Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> let it roll. Yeah, let it roll. And also ways that uh, listeners could take some of these um, aspects and use them in what they're doing and test them and, and provide feedback. Absolutely. On how absolutely. to improve them. Absolutely. That's the job of the next generation of population health scientists and, and uh, policymakers. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for sharing that part of the unfinished journey. So I hear the takeaways as number one, health equity is crucial and complicated with many interacting parts beyond the simple idea of equal health outcomes. Second, additional dimensions like history and power need to be brought forward. Third, communicating complex and sometimes contrarian concepts and politically challenging times requires skills beyond traditional research and reporting. Dave, anything else you want to add to that? Nope, I think that's good for now. All right, listeners, 
Thank you for joining us today for the eighth podcast in the series, Population Health, The Unfinished Journey with David Kendig. Please join us next time for the final podcast titled Looking Forward. Links, more information about the series and references for today's podcast are available in the show notes at www.iaphs.org, Interdisciplinary Association for Population Health Sciences. Thank you. Bye, Dave. Thank you.